you found it. It's the Japan What Podcast coming at you the back end of Tokyo. The armpit of Asia. It's Toshihisacho, the part of town nobody ever wants to come to, but is still just a stone's throw away from all the naughtiness that goes on in Shinjuku. There's, there's, there's those naughty, most of Shinjuku is uh, corporate. <laughs> it's very little, very little dirty, a lot of corporate. Even where I'm living, it's mostly residential, nice houses and a very respectable neighborhood. But um, a few bloggers give us all that bad name. Darn you bloggers. Um, saw a fuel cell bus coming in uh, to the studio today. Uh, there's more and more of these I've seen on the on the streets of Tokyo. Um, giant fuel cell bus. These are, of course, zero emissions. Um, they only emit water, apparently. The major problem with them is the cost of developing the cells, which are basically batteries, and the storage within them. So what I think is happening with these fuel cell buses is uh, just like a like a electric car puts a giant battery in the bottom. They found a way to um, make it make sense to stiff the taxpayers to bring in these fuel cell buses. But they look really nice. Sometimes when you bring in um, new eco or eco green technologies, it looks like it's too fancy or, hey, it's the future. But then three years later, it's stodgy and falling apart. I'm going to post um, a picture of this to the podcast website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. That's also me, the host. My name is conveniently MatthewPMBigelow.com. Thank you for tuning in. And make sure to go to MatthewPMBigelow.com to maybe see the uh, fuel cell buses. And if you're involved in some sort of innovation hub, wherever you are in your neck of the woods, maybe the design of these buses can help uh, uh, help prevent the spread of, of bad green technology designs. It really gives it a bad name after a while. It's like... Um, all these engineers and scientists figure out all these problems to make the world a better place. And then these kind of mid-level managers come in and they're like, why don't we make it pink with, with ears and that way kids will like it. And then all, the, all these people are like, what? No, we, we don't want that. Well, I'm in control of the city money and I want pink bus green technology ears. I'm like, okay, if it's going to... Put millions of dollars in our pockets, but everybody's going to hate you. No, kids like it. I'm in power. I'm in power. Avoid that by going to MatthewPMBigelow.com and seeing for yourself these amazing fuel cell buses that are on the streets of Tokyo. Makes sense, too. Um, a lot of people will say, well, you know, charging them and do-do-do-do-do. You need all this infrastructure and it has to be on the outskirts of the town. Do-do-do-do-do. It's like, yeah, well, maybe if there's too much of a concentration of um, emissions in, in major cities, if you can outsource that to locations um, just outside the cities, it, it disperses the density of, of the pollutants um, into, in, you know, it, it just disperses it, makes it less concentrated. And that's generally a better thing, right? Unless you're drinking weak-ass Chinese beer, but I'm not, I'm not drinking any beer. I'm having what you're having. Oh, that happened to me in Beijing once before getting into all this crazy news. Big show lined up today. 
getting like this mutton hot pot in Beijing. So good, so spicy. All these veggies inside. It doesn't taste like ass or cancer. It's delicious. Beijing's expensive, by the way. It's more expensive than Tokyo now. And uh, drinking this beer, it's like so crisp and smooth. And I'm like, this is one of the best beers I've had while being outside of Japan. And then I look at the percentage, it's like 2.5%. And I had like four of these like 500 milliliter beers. I'm like, I'm not getting a buzz off this thing. 2.5%. They managed to make it super delicious and match really well with a, um, a lamb hot pot, whatever the hell it was. Uh, lamb and monkeys and brains and uh, maybe some Uyghurs in there, some organs. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm as I'm like the blogger is spreading bad news about Shinjuku being just like this uh, sex addict hot hot pit of, of of lust and desire, and Beijing is the same thing. Nah, nah, nah. This was like a nice family owned restaurant with a they had advanced cell phone technology that could translate the menu um, by taking pictures of it. This was like five, four or five years ago now. Pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. We're gonna begin. The podcast, as we always do, with um, hate read. Uh, I don't really have a. Uh, uh, hmm. oh, okay. Okay. Hate read of the week. This comes to us not from JapanToday.com, which is where I get most of, not most, but it's the central hub of news that I get for the podcast and I branch out from there and look and, and try to find alternative sources going into think tank websites and all that. The reason why I use Japan today is not because I think it's some amazing resource, but it's an, an aggregate resource um, and it's updated a lot every day. There's other sources out there like Mainichi, Asahi, Yomiri has an English one as well. The reason why I don't use most of them is because, well, they're just reposting a lot of things anyways um, and eventually they kind of get like a too much of a focus and I'm not really into too much of a focus when it comes to this show. So, but this comes to us directly from Sora News 24. Learn about taxes from a talking piece of poop with the Unco Tax Drill textbook only in Japan. Try to back off the mic a little bit. Talking piece of poop. Now I'm going to read this in the way that it sounds to me. And I hate Sora News 24, and uh, this is how it sounds to me. Who had thought being taught about taxes from a talking turd would be on their 2023 bingo card? Benjamin Franklin once said, in life, nothing is certain except death and taxes taught by a talking piece of poop. Well, he may not have said the last part, but can you imagine if he had? <laughs> no, no. Involving poop jokes is certainly a fun and effective way to teach children just about anything, but especially teaching something as dry as taxes. Luckily for kids in Japan, Poop Sensei, the talking poop with glasses and a mustache, is here to teach them all about the wonderful and exciting world of fiscal responsibility. The Unko Drill series has already proved wildly successful in teaching youngsters useful skills such as kanji, math, science, and financial literacy. And their latest offering, Unko Tax Drill, looks to be just as full of fecal folly as the previous books in the series. 
The textbook is in a collaboration with the Japanese Ministry of Finance's Tax Bureau and has been released smack bang in the middle of tax season. As well as the eponymous Poop Sensei, the book features series regulars such as Poop Cat and Poop Puppy. Unko Tax Drill might sound like it's full of crap, but that doesn't mean it can't be educational. I'm not going to read it from there, but... I'm unbelievably strange. The, the pictures are even weirder. They're not gross. They're kind of cute. Poop cat and poop puppy and poop sensei are all there on the cover and on the back trying to give you help on how to do your taxes. And I was thinking about the board meeting or the meeting for this. Like, hey, we need a, we need a character for our product. Uh, you know, uh, why don't we have a cat? Like, oh, sure. Cats are good. They're a little bit overdone. What about poop? Oh, Takashi-san, I think you're on to something with this poop thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can have poop teachers. We can have poop cats. We can have poop doggies. And everyone's like, wow, that doesn't sound disgusting at all. Let's roll with it. And it, I guess it's really successful. Is it? Or is it? Is it? Or is it successful? Is it? Oh, is it? A pile of poop? We had a champagne problem today with the amount of strange new products there are. I wonder if I should do another one. Mm, we can do a very quick one. Mm, Georgia Coffee releases brand new banana flavored version of its Hokkaido only milk coffee. <laughs> it's a uh, it's clickbait, isn't it? It's amazing clickbait. Um, you can only get this in Hokkaido, so I'm not gonna go milk too much. I'm not gonna milk this story. <laughs> I'm not gonna go bananas into the jokes. Uh, but there's another one there. Yeah, milk coffee, banana milk coffee. So banana and a coffee is not a bad mix. The bananas are a bit creamy, um, but I'm not sure about this product. It's a little um, little far-fetched for me. There's a lot to um, get into today. Um, what I wanted to begin with is um, uh, just a quick bug story here since we're talking about food. Uh. I'm gonna eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just gonna eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm gonna go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. All right. So this this is a follow up from last week as well, from the um, the Epoch Times JP or Epic Times. I'm a subscriber to the Epoch Times. I haven't been reading it recently, but back when I was doing design and uh, story selection for a daily newspaper in Japan, I would kind of um, read the Epoch Times and look at their design and then see if I could predict how they were going to do the next day versus how I was going to do the next day. It's just like an interesting way to look at things. And um, they're not ugly at the Epoch Times. Their stories are, are good. They're very respectful. They come from like this Taiwan slash Christian basis. So there's a, there's everything has a bias. You know, I'm not saying I'm all in on their bias, but uh, a lot of, I, I quite, 
quite like the the whole the whole whole company over there. Yeah, hire me. I like you guys. And I'm translating this from the Japanese website. Uh, baking company SNS using cricket flour goes up in flames. This is machine translated. Is insect food a savior for food shortages? Doubts about safety. Um, why do you eat insects? While the world is searching for solutions to food problems, such as hunger and malnutrition associated with rapid population growth, the lack of animal protein has become a major problem. Um, currently, cricket food is becoming popular in Japan, and it is so- sold at stores such as Ryohin K. Kaku's Muji and uh, Family Mart's Family Mart, and is even included in school lunch menus at one school. Um, compared to existing livestock farming, such as cattle, pigs, and chickens, insects require an overwhelmingly small amount of feed and water to produce one kilogram of protein, making them an environmentally friendly protein source. It is said that crickets, which have few restrictions on food consumptions, can be raised as food for the food loss that occurs in countries around the world, which is said to be equivalent to about one-third of the food produced in the world. So, da-da-da-da-da. Um, but there's, there's some dangers. Um, is eating insects safe? Uh, a 2020 report by researchers at Kenya's Jomo Kenyatta University of Agriculture and Technology found that... Remember, this is machine translated, so it might, be, might not be perfect found that 18% of food poisoning fatalities in China were caused by insect ingestion. In Laos, nearly 8% of people who ate food containing insects reported having an allergic reaction. The report concludes that there are other potential risks, such as parasites, and that the benefits of eating edible insects must be weighed against safety concerns. Um, there's a concern about a bioaccumulation of heavy, heavy metals in some insects uh, and the Food Safety Commission of the Cabinet Office of Japan announced in 2018 um, some related materials there. So I was watching this video of somebody teasing a parasite to come out of the ass of a praying mantis where they they dip this praying mantis into water and this like giant parasite like it looks like it's a a ball of nerves with a bunch of tentacles coming off of it in many different directions crawls out of the back of this of this praying mantis and the praying mantis starts trying to eat it disgusting but could you imagine this is what's gonna happen they're gonna be like the, the World Economic Forum and all these assholes pushing uh, the consumption of, of, of crickets for us lay people. Hey, you, you suck. Eat the bugs. You will eat the bugs. Um, they're kind of going now, oh, wait, there's additional protein in some of these insects. The parasites are actually like um, hors d'oeuvres or they're, 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 they're auxiliary protein sources or you can like crunch them up after baking them in the sun as some sort of alternative to pepper or something like that. Watch it. You'll see. You'll see that the parasites will be used as pepper um, spices in the future. You'll have, you'll have grilled crickets topped with um, uh, milled parasitic worms uh, as your toppings for these foods. Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> so gross.
these will be linked up at the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. I've been saying that a lot, but I've noticed a good increase of um, native traffic to the website since I started plugging, putting these pictures up and then plugging the website. And we're also um, available on a bunch of new platforms, but I'll get into that later. Let's go on to the next topic here. What are we going to do? I'm looking at a lot of of war at the moment. Um, I I didn't see this coming three years ago. I wasn't sure it was going to be all there. Um. Actually, let's do some business first. This this comes to us through the idea of war. So this will lead us into war, I'm pretty sure. Now, it's kind of interesting how this um, cryptocurrency exchange in the past few months, FTX, led by Mr. Bankman, fried, he fried the Bankman, came collapsing down, billions of dollars in losses. Um, it, it turned out it was, a, it was a massive political donator campaign openly donating to Democrats in the United States and secretly donating to Republicans in the United States, um, fueling anti-Avermectin research, all this stuff. Um, It collapses. And what's kind of going on right now is the central banks of the world realize how powerful fintech is uh, because they can, because fintech can be used in real time in our pockets and, can monitor payments as they go, um, and people are open to it. Uh, you know, I use some QR code apps. I view it as an expansion to my fi- financial access, my access to financial resources. I don't view it as eliminating one thing or replacing it with one thing. Like I'm not going to say, "Oh, now that I have a QR code on my app from my, my app for payments on my phone, I'm not going to now forget about cash." I'm going to go. It's a yes and situation. I have cash and I have a QR code and I have um, uh, my commuter takey card in Tokyo, the Suica, which you can load up on an IC chip with Japanese yen. It's kind of a digital payments platform. Um, I prefer cash, but when I have a son with me who is at a convenience store and he wants to grab all of the cards that are being put in front of the cash register to entice like uh, impulse buying, I don't feel like rooting around in my pockets or my wallet for an extra 33 yen so that I can make a payment with cash. I'd much rather just hold up my phone and scan a QR code or pull up my Suica and go beep, beep, and scan it on the cash register and then leave. Much, much better. Uh, But that doesn't say now I don't need cash anymore. Uh, But um, what what I believe is happening, and I worked in fintech a little bit when I was leading a class at a telecom industry, telecom, telecommunications company in Tokyo here, one of the major three, they were investing a significant amount of resources into uh, blockchain payment systems as well, using international cell phone networks as a base uh, to transfer financial data or payments data uh, from people around the world in a secure and unanonymized fashion. That was kind of what one of the guys said. He's like, mm, I think we should challenge Bitcoin and remove the anonymity of Bitcoin because um, it leads to more financial crimes. So his point of view was uh, they could create an international platform that would be used for official transactions um, in real time or, or in kind of real time. What are the problems with this is like, 
the Japanese financial institutions have, are very specific, and a lot of financial institutions are very specific or non-specific for their countries. So it's like country A might have payment method A, B, C, and D, and Japan might have payment method A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. And sometimes these methods kind of match with each other conceptually for the unanonymized payment method. You know, maybe Japanese payment A matches with country payment B. Then they can figure out the terminology between them and link them up so that auditors can be happy. But if a country has a very different view of money than Japan, or if Japan has very specified payment systems that don't accept unspecified payment systems, connecting those through the blockchain network um, for the uh, unmutable transaction data becomes very difficult because there's a discrepancy on either side of the nation state as to what that transaction means. Very interesting stuff. Um, so what what's happening is cryptocurrency is the wild, wild west. I think it's mostly taken from Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert, who are, you know, in El Salvador, uh, promoting El Salvador as like a safe haven for international Bitcoin uh, because El Salvador, you know, made Bitcoin a, an official currency there. Um, the country's just been on an upward trajectory ever since. Uh, amazing, amazing story. Um, what's happening with the central bank banks is that they want to, what I believe, and this is just my speculation here, they want to take down cryptocurrency or they want to ensnare it. They want to enslave it. They don't want an alternative out there to their, their existing systems, right? They're the biggest balls on the block and they'd like to keep their giant balls. They don't want to give their balls to somebody else. They don't want someone else making bigger balls than what they have. They like their big balls and they want to keep their big balls and they want their big balls to be the biggest balls. That only makes sense to me. That's why you have big balls. Um, so when we have this competition arising from cryptocurrency markets, what could happen is it's intentionally destabilized and then stigmatized and then um, central banks roll out their alternative and it's secure. Uh, so it's a way of yeah, ensnaring and enslaving a lot of these technologies. Ethereum could also be used as an enslaved technology and used for um, official smart contracts between companies. I've had some companies contact me recently and try to do um, uh, certain uh, procedures through encryption and, and messaging and stuff like that. It doesn't really work unless you have a face-to-face -face meeting, in my opinion, but we'll see where it goes. It's kind of interesting, but just to make everything anonymous and, and encrypted is also, it's a little bit weird. To, <laughs> I'll just say that. Unless I'm a spy, I'm not a spy. It's like, you want your verbs checked and I have to go through this rigmarole? I'm fine to do it, by the way, but it doesn't really come across as... Um, uh, it, it's, it makes it a little bit weird. It makes it a little bit weird. I'll just say that. So by the central banks ensnaring and enslaving this technology, um, they get to keep the biggest balls on the block. In fact, their balls eat those other balls, and then their bank balls become even bigger bank balls. And that's that's what we... It's not a stretch to say these things. But Bitcoin is its own thing. And I think Bitcoin is going to be its own thing for a long time. Now, what's happening is in the Olympics, the the Beijing Olympics, the 2022 Olympics, was it? Those stupid Winter Olympics, 
where you had um, uh, snowboarding competitions next to industrial wastelands uh, with artificial snow that made everybody fall down. Uh, stupid Olympics. They launched, China launched a digital yuan at that Olympics as a trial. Makes sense. You know, you have all the venues, you have these pop-up stores that come up and come down. So you have all the data that can be harvested to see who's buying what, where, what times, da 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 da, da. Um, And it's finite, meaning the beginning and ending of this trial run, you know, for a test run is, is ideal for such big data test runs. You can get all that data and see what's going on and then see the app, potential applications. This year, though, there are many central digital banks, uh, central banks that are launching their own trials, uh, including Japan. There's a new Bank of Japan governor. Uh, Kuroda is now going to be you know, setting off for his sunset. And there's been a lot of hullabaloo in the Japanese media about who this person's going to be, what they're going to do, the challenges they have. I haven't focused on it because it's all just predictive. It's like, all of the news articles, oh, who's this going to be? What's he to do? What what are they going to plan? What are the, some of the things that they might do? And it's just an endless stream of guesswork by the leading agencies of the country. And they're all just have these hard-ons for who's the next person going to be. Uh, but we're kind of seeing where it might be going. And, of course, when we think about the last 10 years of monetary easing, which probably might continue on the terms of the Japan side of things, we also have... Massive inflation, um, uh, debt repayment systems, um, uh, breaking off of the U.S. dollar by major parts of the world with this uh, multipolarity that we're seeing. The multipolar world. It's, the New World Order is a conspiracy theory. The New World Order is not a conspiracy theory. The New World Order is good. The multipolar world is a conspiracy theory. There is no multipolar world. The multipolar world is good. That's kind of where it's going. And... Um, in order for Japan to maintain its position, it's always doing this balancing act between being like ideologically tied to America with all the bases here and like this idea of freedom and um, historically and geographically tied to places like China and Russia. They share maritime borders with each other um, and um, <clears throat> and do business with each other there, frankly. So let's just take a look. And this this comes this comes to us from... Uh, the tech section uh, from today, we're recording this on February 27th. Japan to launch pilot program for issuing digital yen. Japan will start a pilot program in April to test the use of a digital yen, its central bank said, joining a growing number of countries seeking to catch up with front-runner China and launching a central bank digital currency. It's like, it's government crypto, is basically what it is, right? The wildly expected move follows two years of experiments that the Bank of Japan has been conducting to decide whether to issue a CBDC and moves Japan closer to issuing a digital yen in several more years. If you Google Central Bank Digital Currency 2023, you can see some other countries that are kind of getting in on it. Um, it also comes ahead of the BOJ's leadership, coincidentally transitioned to academic uh, Kazuo Ueda, who is the new guy, who is expected to succeed incumbent Haruhiko Kuruda. Kuruda's second five-year term ends in April. Quote, Our hope is that the pilot program will lead to improved design through discussion with private businesses. Bank of Japan Executive Director Shinichi Uchida said in an opening remarks at the central bank's meeting with private sector executives. 
Under the pilot program, the BOJ will conduct simulated transactions with private entities in a test environment, Uchida said. The program will help the BOJ be ready in case the government decides to issue a digital yen. Um, well, let's just take a look. The Group of Seven um, advanced economies have sought to align themselves in their progress towards issuing CBDCs. In 2021, the group agreed that any digital currency issued by a central bank must support and do no harm to the bank's ability to fulfill its mandate on monetary and fiscal stability. I don't know. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Are they going to release the source code? Is it going to be an open code? The, this, this might be an expansion on um, the, the COVID war that we've been in the past three years. I've viewed it as a war. I stopped doing a lot of podcasts during COVID because I just felt the barrage the information barrage and the and and the injection barrage was just a little much and when you have when you're being bombed you don't run around with a pistol in the streets trying to take out the bombers you got to wait and then find a better position for you to um recalibrate yourself in this type of thing now you might think i'm crazy but I think the whole Western world has completely flipped its lid in the past seven, eight years, ever since Trump. Uh, so it's a lonely beach where I am, but at least it's uh, my own insanity is kind of fun and it's not derived on insane expectations of, of leadership that isn't there. So tying it back into the COVID thing, when we were forced to have the the QR code to scan to get into places or to have QR code um, vaccination statuses and stuff like that. Well, what that basically was doing was putting, making everybody accept the idea that all of the AI and all of the blockchain and all of the mandates are going to be, the technology is going to be secured behind the QR code. Basically, if the source is not disclosed, the QR code is the user's access into that system. But it, where that QR code is, is now the, the system's access to you. So when you scan a QR code, that puts the system right behind that QR code wherever you are. But the, me scanning that QR code doesn't give me any access into the system except kind of a, a yes or no pass. What I mean by that is I don't get to see how the AI is working. I don't get to see how the money is being um, used. It's just allocated and distributed and it sits within basically a black and white piece of paper. That's what a QR code is. Do you call somebody if you have a problem? Can you contact somebody if you have a problem? How do you have a problem? If you have a problem with this stuff, how do you have it resolved? Uh, if if the power goes out, if there's a network issue, if it's hacked, the people would have no idea. And in fact, a lot of that digital data did get misused and was hacked. And and, and there were major problems with with the COVID app rollouts, even in Japan. Um, just Things not working. An update would happen and data would just get sent somewhere else and it wouldn't actuate the purpose of the QR code. So, But the person using the QR code doesn't even know that because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a gateway technology that 
It's a gateway and gatekeeper technology. That's how I should think about it, actually. Because I was thinking it doesn't give you access, but then it does. It's a yes or no thing, right? So I was kind of thinking, how do I resolve that? It's a gateway to a gatekeeper. And that's what it is. That's the QR code CBDC, Central Digital Bank Currency System. It's a gateway to a gatekeeper that keeps everything and distributes it at their will. And this will lead us into um, another topic, which is war. Um, maybe, maybe if there's a war going on and they need some war bonds, the central bank digital currencies can, um, you know, give you a 10% coupon when you go to stores that support the government's endeavors in their wars. And if a government um, finds out that company A, B, C, or D does not like the government's war efforts, well, then maybe uh, they're not included. They don't get the option to opt in to their financial security services. This is all pretty high. Some of it's far-fetched, but the thing, there should be far-fetched criticisms when implementing this type of broad-based system. Uh, because if there isn't, then the, the, the right people might not hear it and the right people might not be there to correct these overindulgent aspirations uh, of the central banks where they just kind of say, well, maybe if not enough people push back against it, they'll just say, ah, make it an app, just print the money and send it to them and then that's that'll be that. And you, you could open up to insane amounts of uh, vulnerabilities. So include far-fetched ideas with over-the-horizon um, implementation of technology. Always. If you like what we're doing here at the Japan What podcast, why not go over to MatthewPMBigelow.com and give us some traffic. We also accept donations via PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. That's paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. If you're using a podcast 2.0 compliant apps, uh, an app, you can send us uh, Bitcoin through the Lightning Network. Uh, just go to uh, nudepodcasts.com or search for podcasting 2.0 compliant apps. Get yourself one. I'm using the Fountain app at the moment. Uh, there's a there's a bunch of them that you can use, and um, they look great. The UI looks great. The services to the user, that's you, look great. And it gives you the chance to donate some Satoshis through the Lightning Network to your podcaster of choice. Why not go to MatthewPMBigelow.com or search for Podcasting 2.0 Compliant Apps for more. That's Japan. That's PayPal.me forward slash Japan WUT. <laughs> I'm trying to get better at the old self-promotion, but uh, remembering them all off the dome ain't so easy. Let's take a look at the next topic here. We are going towards war. It's getting crazy there. I'm going to have to get a war. A war. Should it be like, here we go. War. War. I'm trying to avoid... I'm hoping, I was hoping that like after COVID ended, we would go back to AI and like um, startups. 
<laughs> tech startups and interesting stuff like that. And well, of course, like chat GPTs making the rounds and stuff. Uh, I'm not really seeing this, um, the, the economic surge of activities at free market wonderland that was kind of dancing around the, uh, the, the, the Trump presidency there. We're going to kind of go through some of these pretty quickly here. This has to do, we'll do two, um, two, two, two diverges here. We'll go do two. Sorry, one second here. We'll look at two divergent um, aspects of the global war that's going on right now in terms of what Japan is doing inside of it. This, of course, relates to Taiwan, China, and Ukraine. When I was um, watching TV about a month ago, I don't have a TV, I was surprised how much Ukraine is shoved into Japanese TVs. This is crazy. It's like the Ukraine refugees are on TV in Japan. The government's the J- refu- like, what are we going to do about Ukraine? Japan's G7 thing is the third largest economy. Japan, what are they going to do about Ukraine? Just Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. Now, most people don't in Japan don't care about Ukraine. We're seeing like crazy inflation. People don't know what the future is right now. But our, our elitists, our elite class is just kind of Ukraine, baby, Ukraine. And China is part of that because they're moving to support Russia. And, of course, that drags Taiwan into it. And I have some interesting ideas about that as well. We'll just kind of go through some very quick um, news blitz here, uh, beginning with China, Taiwan, and Japan. Japantimes.com or japantimes.co.jp. Oh, we can actually use this one to do it. Tim Hirschner of Cincinnati loves his Honda Civic wagon because he can fill it up with everything he needs to fill up his hot air balloon. China and Japan square off over arms and balloons at security talks. This comes to us from Reuters and Kyoto via japantimes.co.jp. Notice how a lot of people say Japan Times, some authority for um, what's going on in Japan. I don't know. They're just repeating what Kyoto and Reuters are saying. Anyways, China said it was troubled by Japan's military buildup in Tokyo, took aim at Beijing's military ties to Russia, and its suspected use of spy balloons during the Asian power's first formal security talks in four years on Wednesday. The talks, aimed at easing tensions between the world's second and third largest economies, comes as Tokyo worries that Beijing will resort to force to take control of Taiwan in the wake of Russia's attack on Ukraine, sparking a conflict that would embroil Japan and disrupt global trade. At the outset of the talks, Senior Deputy Foreign Minister Shigeo Yamada expressed concern about the suspected Chinese spy balloons and Beijing's intensifying military activities such as those in collaboration with Russia. I've always said, now the, the balloon topic, which is not really relevant anymore, but it's just a follow-up to a follow-up out of a follow-up to a follow-up. The Just say like, well, you know, miniaturization of surveillance technology with a AI and, and networks that can connect to low-Earth satellites, they might be analyzing um, spectrograms uh, using uh, cameras that aren't just limited to the visual field. Uh, we're, we're concerned about China's developments in these fields, and we would rather the, not them fly balloons over our territories, and we will shoot them down. 
I would just say that. That's my, that's my advice. We're concerned about China's AI being attached to the balloons. People go, what? It's like, yeah, it's a, we, well, we're not going to take risks. Like, okay, shoot the fucker down. All right. This, uh, what I could, this falls into an interesting thing that we could, we could look at here. Um, what I like to do is I like to incorporate various media sources uh, into these topics. This comes to us from uh, Twitter, and this is this is from a different perspective on uh, on the Taiwan um, militarization of Taiwan to protect it from being overrun by China. And this comes to us from um, from Twitter, Jessica Drun. Who is Jessica Drun? Well, she is. Um, Cross Strait, Taiwan, China. She's from the AC Global China, Project 2049, Sosisira, and NBR News. Um, AC Global China is the official account of the Atlantic Council's Global China Hub. So take that for what it is. Project 2049 is a think tank producing future-oriented analysis of political, socioeconomic, military, and technological trends in the Asia-Pacific. Publisher of the Asia Eye blog. Now you kind of get where she's coming. What's Sosis Sira? Uh, Sosis Center for Intelligence Research and Analysis, uh, C-I-R-A, Center for Intelligence Research and Analysis, conducts in-depth open-source research on the world's most pressing international security issues. So she's kind of like this... Chinese analysis, data analysis for the intelligence community. Um, This is is her tweet thread. Some personal news, and I'll be posting this onto the website, matthewpmbigelow.com. I'll embed it so you can read it as if you're on Twitter on my website. Some personal news. I've been quiet quitting this platform, but I'm going on private tomorrow. Thursday was my last day with AC Global China, and I'll be starting a new position at the U.S. State Department, the U.S. Department of State. AC Global China has my endless gratitude for the teams, uh, the China Cowboys door, I've had a love-hate relationship with Twitter over the years, I want to close out with a quick comment that one of my biggest concerns, and one that few seem willing to discuss or explore, has been how dangerous... U.S. domestic political discourse may be becoming for Taiwan. Of course, you know, you don't want China overriding Taiwan. China considers Taiwan theirs. It's a renegade province. It's where the final government that rebelled, that they fought, you know, for whatever, decades in in the 40s, fled to and established their own thing over there. But now, you know, I don't know why, but the the People's Republic of China really wants them gone. Um, so America's going to come in, but just like with Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever's been going on with America internationally for the past 20 years when it comes to military aid, uh, not everything goes quite to plan, does it? Not, Iraq is not really a better place. Um, Afghanistan's not really a better place. Ukraine, is it going to be a better place too because of all this interventionism? Uh, what about uh, uh, Taiwan? Uh, pretty nice place for your semiconductor industry. Maybe not a great place for war. There's a race to the bottom on, this is back to Jessica Drun. There's a race to the bottom on both sides to prove hawkishness on China. And this has simultaneously devolved into posturing on being pro-Taiwan, but not necessarily out of actual considerations for Taiwan and its security or international standing. 
We are seeing a slew of policy proposals on Taiwan that do little to help it stand better against the PRC and one that may do more damage than good. We have to ask, are we putting Taiwan in a position where it is unwilling or unable to deny support from Washington, either because it doesn't want to upset certain individuals and parties that may, become, that may come to power or because fringe groups within Taiwan are thus emboldened? Last one. We also need to ask, how do we square calls from certain elements in the U.S. to formally recognize Taiwan, while others in their camp want America to turn inward to withdraw from global engagements writ large? And you also need to consider all of the corporate interests and the political interests that uh, elite politicians there, uh, including Mitch McConnell, who's like the head of the Republicans, I guess is one way to say it, his wife is involved with the Chinese shipping industry and they own ships with Chinese flags on them, uh, billions of dollars worth, uh, according to sources. Are those people going to be like, no, Taiwan is the freedom place because as an American politician, I actually value freedom more than my billions of dollars. I wonder about that. I really, really wonder about that. So that's just an alternative perspective coming to us from Twitter. Moving on to the next one. Um, Japan could lose 144 fighter jets in Taiwan crisis simulation. Now, I've been reporting on these simulations going on for quite a while now. What happens, though, is that these um, think tanks, these stink takes, these think tanks record and produce, you know, record podcasts like I'm doing and produce documents about like um you know tabletop war exercises and then it gets a little bit of traction and it goes away and i think then other sympathetic ent- entities run similar um think uh, tabletop exercises and it gets a little bit of traction and it repeats the same thing and then it goes away but you create enough ripples and even if they're not major through the act of repetition people begin to you know remember them it's not like a one time headline like uh, you might see like, oh, inflation in Myanmar. Okay, but if you see it 50 times, you go, wow, there's inflation in Myanmar. So we're talking about, this comes to us from Nikkei Asia. I did have the whole article up earlier, but this comes to us again from Nikkei Asia. Tokyo, if Japan and the U.S. were to become involved in a conflict between China and Taiwan, they would be able to prevent Beijing's takeover of the island, but at a heavy cost to their military personnel and equipment. Think Tank Simulations Show. A tabletop war game conducted by Japan's Sasakawa Peace Foundation showed Japan losing as many as 144 fighter jets, with self-defense forces casualties reaching up to 2,500. The U.S. could lose up to 400 jets, with over 10,000 soldiers killed or wounded, but China would fail to seize control of the island. Now, I I did read some of this policy paper, this Think Tank tabletop exercise, what if, though, Japan gets sucked into Ukraine and then America gets sucked into Ukraine? Will they still have the same amount of resources to fight on behalf of Taiwan in 2027? I'm not sure if it goes into that, but what China might be doing, China might be trying to postpone its involvement in the takeover of Taiwan in order to get the adversaries in this case to dump as many resources as they can into the Ukraine conflict, weakening their supplies, and then attacking Taiwan. So 
wooed the U.S. public after years of losing all their money and weapons and, you know, in a stupid war in Ukraine. Like, do we really care who controls the Donbass? To me, Taiwan is a little bit more important than the Donbass. The, the Ukraine borders and these countries are always shifting and expanding their borders for as long as time has been there. So why do we have to make the world a shittier place to protect the Donbass? I'm not sure if we do. Protecting Taiwan, though, maybe, maybe worthwhile. It's a, <laughs> I could just be closer, and I am very selfish. Um, so there we go. I'll be posting these links up at MatthewPMBigelow.com. This is an interesting one. This comes from uh, spf.org, um, China Observer in English, and this is satellite image analysis, says China's plutonium production and nuclear arms expansion. Uh, this is as well from the Sasakawa Peace Foundation by Yuki Kobayashi, a research fellow there. Um, China's increased production of plutonium for civilian use and its alleged attempts to secretly divert this to military use may be cited as background as to why the U.S. raised its projection and revealed its alarm about China's expansion of nuclear weapons. Specifically, this includes China's plan to build nuclear fuel reprocessing facilities to separate plutonium from spent fuel from nuclear power plants, mix plutonium with uranium to produce mixed oxide fuel, and use it in fast breeder reactors. This is because fast breeder reactors make it possible to extract ultra high pure, ultra high purity plutonium twenty thirty nine or sorry two thirty two three nine with like cesium one thirty seven plutonium two thirty nine which can be diverted to nuclear weapons through fuel reprocessing, possibly because of these circumstances. Da, 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 da. Last time, this time I attempt to substantiate China's movement towards nuclear arms expansion by analyzing satellite images of sites where construction of nuclear fuel reprocessing facilities is proceeding, uh, obtained by the Sasagawa Peace Foundation's China Observer. Um, I'm not going to go too much more into this, but if you're interested in this satellite data, I'll be, sp I'll be posting it up at MatthewPMBigelow.com and you can see if that makes sense to you or not. But again, it kind of goes into this idea that um, China might be building up more of its military for 2027, which is this repeated year being cited for um, an invasion of Taiwan. Three or four years uh, you know, from now, 2023 February, with this Ukraine crisis going on, if China manages to stay out of it, they might be able to, like the United States in World War II, build up its internal forces to then supplant all of the existing forces that are exhausted uh, by that time. It's interesting, right? But we don't really think about World War II as like, we know that it's like from 1939 or 38 to 1945, but, you know, maybe people in 1934, 10 years before that, would have no idea what the world would look like after the U.S. dropped the bombs. Are we in a similar situation right now? Kind of feels like we are. Um, okay, moving on to Ukraine. Weird corner. People are saying that uh, the Japanese prime minister should make a trip to, uh, to Kiev. But those are always changing, you know. Oh, they might go, they might not go. Oh, he's going. Um, but... Japan accepted over 2,300 Ukrainians last year. 
Japan is noted for not being a place for refugees. Not a place at all. Uh, but their stance on Ukrainians has been quite open. Uh, Japan is also pretty open to refugees from Russia as the communists were taking over, like loyal czar loyalists were welcome to Japan. I think that's because of the mutual feeling of emperorship. G7 chair Japan urged to lead global efforts to rebuild Ukraine. So trying to get Japan in on the... Uh, uh, in the post-bombing, uh, you know, re-restoration efforts. Um, Japan preparing new G7 sanctions on Russia as Kishida weighs U- Ukraine trip. Yeah, because all of the sanctions on Russia have worked so well so far. Our, our global elites on the West are, are really, really not connected to the reality of what's going on on the, on the daily level here. Um. A year after war broke out, Ukrainian evacuees take life in Japan one step at a time. And after escaping war, Ukrainian teen joins sumo stable in Japan by the Asahi Shimbun. I'm not really going to go into any of that so far because I did so much on the on the China angle. But as you can see, with the China angle, it's all about like the economy, the cost of these war games, these tabletop exercises the history of Taiwan. But when it comes to the Ukrainian side in Japan, it's really like just trying to humanize Ukraine. Like, oh, he's a sumo wrestler. Oh, they're a student. Oh, they want to make a co-op or something like that. Um, that's that's what we get a lot here uh, in Japan. I'm not sure if people are necessarily buying it. Like, I like Ukrainians and I like Russians as well. I'm not really, not really too, like, you know, into... I've never really been too in, into what's going on over there. You know, I'm a Canadian from the West Coast living in Japan. What am I going to become a Ukrainian expert in Tokyo? Like, come on. Um, uh, but there we go. It's weird that we don't really get a lot of information from Ukraine. <laughs> like, billions of dollars get sent over there, and all we get is like meetings in 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 subway systems in Kiev of like David Letterman interviewing. Uh, President Zelensky, it's like, hmm, what's going on over there? Here we go. Coronavirus. If the Wuhan flu doesn't kill you, then media panic will. Now do whatever the government tells you to do. All right, now we're going to finish off with the just a couple of things on the COVID front. Pretty minor. I'm looking forward to May 2020 because May 2020 is when I just said, I think I'm done with COVID. Um, I know it's real. Um, I haven't seen a lot of people dead in the streets. I'm not going to... I don't think we're going on the right path here. And I'm fine. I, I know I'm unmasked, unjabbed, all that stuff, and I'm fine. But the fans at World Baseball Classic in Japan will still wear masks. This is coming to us February 26, 2023. Fans of the upcoming World Baseball Classic are going to see two versions, depending on whether the games are in the United States or Taiwan or in Japan. In the United States and Taiwan, fans will cheer and need not wear masks. Taiwan dropped most of its masks man, mask mandates this week. This week For Japan, it's slightly more complicated as COVID pandemic rules are changing more slowly. Cheering will be allowed, but masks will be worn at the Tokyo Dome. 
In the first three weeks of play at the WBC are March 10 and 8th in Taiwan and Japan. Play begins on March 11th at two, the two U.S. sites in Miami and Phoenix. Um, there we go. I expect a situation where fans will be able to cheer while wearing masks, MPB General Secretary Atsushi Ihara told Japan Kyoto News recently. He was speaking about the upcoming uh, Japanese season. So there, you can you can cheer, but you still got to wear a mask. That's how crazy it is here. Still how crazy it is. And this is coming to us. The last one for today. Um, this is this is a real gem because this would this would get you kicked out of most places if you said it a few years ago. This comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, lab leak most likely origin of COVID nineteen pandemic. Energy Department now says U.S. agency's revised assessment is based on new intelligence. And this is what pisses me off. We have all of these agencies all over the world saying, no, 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 Bill Gates is saying, no, it's climate change. It was a bat and a pangolin and then a human because of climate change. Any idea of a, of a lab that was right there the Wuhan Institute of Virology with its bio four level uh, 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 of bioweaponry research. No, you're racist. It was a pangolin with a bat and climate change. Got it. The whole world goes, okay. All the decision makers that, you know, affect us. Okay, you're right. Climate change. If it's not climate change, it's racist. And then three years later, we're still here wearing masks at baseball games in Japan. People scared out of their fucking minds that they might get something that will... They don't even, they're not even really scared of it. They just don't want the, the rigmarole that comes with it. The, the, the doctor's testing and the time off work and then the stigma and all that. It's much better to go and get the vaccine, get sick from the vaccine, which I know some people have had happen take a week off work, which is fine, and then show up back at work and go, ho-hum, ho-hum. All right. <laughs> so dumb, isn't it? But it's not like it's peripheral. It's not like this is like weird people in the corners of the room doing stuff that, you know, you wouldn't normally see. You shine a light on it and go, let a bunch of freaks. It's all over in plain day all the time. Just barrage after barrage after barrage. But the barrages are slowing down. They are changing. And I'm pretty sure the pendulum is going to start swinging the other way pretty soon. And we're not going to go back to normal. We're going to war. But the same suckers who fell for the last three years of this COVID shit, or they're going to be the ones marching right into the front lines of this next war. I say good luck to you all. Until next time, take care and always. I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. MatthewPMBigelow.com MatthewPMBigelow.com